Welcome to the Rider Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. I'm back. And Larry Korea. Work the lock, don't look at the dogs. Today's episode, Supporter Spectacular, Round 11. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Rider Dojo. Glad to have you back with us. Today, um, this episode is airing while we are in Vegas, baby eating delicious tacos and probably some barbecue or something. Um, while we are here, we're going to be interviewing a crud ton of people, hopefully. Um, different takes on stuff. I know we're going to be interviewing a publisher about some of his stuff. Um, a guy who, who you know, taking books and turn them into movie type stuff, film. Um, Rothman, we're probably going to get Rothman on the show since he's there and we're there. We've got several guys who are friends of ours who are, uh, very successful in the indie sphere. Yeah. Which is good because that's something that I don't, my knowledge is more dated, is, is out of date now because when I was indie, the market was wildly different. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. It's changed so fast. It's so much. Yeah. All of it has changed. So we've got, we got some friends of ours that are very successful indie authors we're going to try to get this week. And so hopefully... By the time you guys hear this episode, we will have a bunch of those in the bag. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to it. There's some really cool people out there. Um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm pretty stoked for it. Um, okay, so what we're going to do, this is going to be kind of a, a quick update um, uh, uh, episode and then uh, support our questions. So first, obviously, as far as updates go, we're in Vegas. That's where you can find us. We're there. There's a book signing here this week. There's, there's a book signing. Um, and if we're not there, we're probably eating barbecue with Rothman or, um, we've gone to tacos El Gordo because dude, I need me some tacos. I'm down for tacos. Um, uh, other big stuff, Larry, you're working on the finale. I am working on the last book of the saga of the forgotten warrior called graveyard of demons. Oh, such a good title. Okay. Uh, I'm working on sequel to servants, instruments of violence. Um, since I've turned in like all the other books and stories this year already, um, that's, that's what I'm going on. Can you talk about your other thing? I can, it's official. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, I, I mentioned kind of in passing on our outlining episode a few weeks ago that I'd signed a three book deal. Um, so that's totally official. I, I literally signed the contract. It's all good. Uh, me and the publisher gave each other high fives. So that's with Athon. Um, so that is a, uh, three book science fiction series. It is my Gundam meets alien series. So, um, I'm super, super excited for it. Um, I'm super excited for you. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because the, the way, the way it is, is my, uh, I have to turn in all three books. Cause you guys are going to do a quick release. It's going to be quick releases from what I understand. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that. I, I think it's really interesting in terms of, of the marketing aspect of it. And, and that's probably what we'll talk with Steve Boyer about um, when we have him on the show this week. But, um, I'm really interested to see how it works. I mean, you and I have talked about the whole, the whole problem of reader adoption when it comes to a new series. Right. Because people are hesitant to start a new series because they're afraid it's going to not get finished right. and they're going to get burned. Mm-hmm. And, and for good reason. Because several big name fantasy authors have burned their yeah. fans. So by doing this, by doing it this way, um, 
the marketing philosophy, and they've had some great. I mean, man, Athon has had some great success. Um, they're they've been doing really. They're well. doing really well. Cool guys. Um, you've blurbed some of their stuff before. I have. Yeah, I've actually, I've actually, I'm a fan of some of their stuff, and yeah. I've read it and, and put my. I'm on the cover cover quote. Yeah. Um, I, I just did one of those for Steve as well. Um, but uh, it's interesting. I I really feel like this is going to make a big um a big difference in terms of reader adoption by releasing them that fast. Yeah, because from the get go they already know that the last one's done. It and it's up for pre-order and there it is. Yeah, so people who were hesitant who to j- jump into a new series because of that because they don't want to like they're afraid of falling in love because they might get their heart broken. Mm-hmm. You know, because they've been burned before. But this one is like this is a good girl. Okay. Yeah, she's a good girl. <laughs> She's good. She's good. Um, She's not going to tear your heart out and leave you at the altar. Um, So anyway, I'm, I'm super excited. Um, I, I've been wanting to tell this story for a long time and, uh, you know, and talking with the guys over at Athon, it, it made me really excited and they're excited for it. So this is awesome. This is really cool because you're at several, you're, you're going to now be at multiple public, you have books at multiple publishing houses. Yeah. And uh, independent. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm all, kind of all over the place. Yeah. That's pretty um, cool. You got a very diverse career right now. That I'm trying to. Yeah. Um, well, you, it's really, it's really ramping up. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, you know, what this does mean is that, uh, you know, yours truly will not be doing the maddening cycle of short stories like I did this year. You did a lot of short stories. I did a lot. Um, yeah. Well, and there's, there's ones that I wrote that aren't even um, published. I have one. Which, I have one that I'm doing. Speaking of which, you, you are in the, uh, well, but you have a story in the upcoming uh, Down These Mean Streets yeah, baby. anthology, which the E-Arc just came out. This is a thir- the third noir anthology edited by me and Casey Ezel. Mm-hmm. And so that's coming out in January. I think it's slotted for January 2nd. Yeah. So, so beginning of the year. Um, that's coming out and, uh, St- Steve has a story in there. Yeah. That's werewolf cop. Were- his first werewolf cop story. Um, and I, and at least on Amazon coming out the same day is our weird world war China story that you and I wrote. Oh, cool. So. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I, I think people are going to, yeah. people are going to like that story. That story is awesome. Yeah. So a bunch of stuff coming out. Yeah. So it's, it's wild. Things are looking good. Um, the release of fever went really good. Oh Yeah. Yeah, the Fever release, because you guys got to understand, the memoirs books don't sell as good as the regular Monster Hunter books, just because people are always hesitant on a collab yeah. versus a, like this, the regular Proven one. It seemed like this one did better than this usual. This one did really good. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm really pleased with this. Now, I do think that um, that your fans, because they're awesome, uh, I got the they, they showed up. They showed up for this release, dude. They did. We hit number uh, one in Urban Fantasy on Audible, I want to say. That's a big deal. Because that, that's a big category. Yeah. You guys understand now, it used to be Urban Fantasy. I could hit number one every time I had a release. But but Amazon, and uh, they've changed the way they lump you into different categories now. Because a lot of the stuff that used to be like the romance stuff now gets lumped into Urban Fantasy. Yeah, the... The and romanticy or well, whatever they call it. The the romanticy or paranormal romance stuff is huge compared oh, to urban fantasy. It it's slaughters. Like us, they dude. dwarf us by orders of magnitude. Yeah. So when I used to be able to hit number one of there was a much different genre now because it's like insane. Cause I'm up against these romance novels with you know sexy shirtless vampire dude on the cover. Yeah. And she 
these these will sell orders of magnitude more than yeah, like the best in my genre. So it's one of those, ah, you know, hey, thanks for playing. But that said, I did hit number one in a bunch of the, the smaller ones. But it's really weird and arbitrary now what where Amazon puts you. So who knows? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited. Dominated. I'm like, excited. I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't actually buy that many books these days because um, a lot of times I can just get them for free. Um, yeah. Or, uh, you know, or I'm... I tend to save my money for like really high quality special editions, like the ones I produce. Um, but uh, I did go to Barnes and Noble and I did buy Fever. Yeah. Hey, we hit number four in Barnes and Noble. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So that was, that was, that was pretty dang cool. Yeah. Do you think Larry, and this is, this is a supporter question from me because I'm a supporter of our podcast. Um, <laughs> do you, do you think, do you feel like the doldrums, that COVID thrust upon the industry. Do you feel like it's starting to go away? Like we're starting to see the uptick again at the physical bookstores? I don't know. Um, because my problem is on the trade book sites, there's such a long delay for us because we don't get paid. We don't get paid fast enough to know what's going on right now. I know it's weird because there's that whole return thing. If you guys don't understand on this, we've talked about this on the show before. So when you're doing traditional publishing and they sell books to bookstores, bookstores have like a really generous return policy with the publishers. So like we actually will not get paid for the stuff that sold when the book came out until like a year later. Yeah, it's a while. Well, so like this last year I got my, basically I was getting paid for the stuff during COVID yeah, you Which know what? really sucked because like 99% of the bookstores were closed. The um, the royalty check we just got from Bain a little bit ago, a few months ago, whenever it was, um, was for the end of, basically the end of 2022. Yeah. Well, so. It was, um, well, but then you got to remember because you then you have one year worth of returns before that. Yeah, exactly. So and it's so it was 2021 sales uh-huh. and it was like, Oh, what a freaking kick in the butt. So I actually don't know if the, I don't have an inside track anymore. Like I, I, cause I used to be friends with a guy who is uh, Barnes and Noble's um, buyer for fantasy. Oh, and sci-fi. Right, right. But they restructured like they, so they, they, they restructured how they, they do the sales. So I actually have, no idea now where the actual physical book industry is at. That said, um, from what I've seen, eBooks and audio are smoking along. We Um, did a little survey when fever came out, somebody did a survey and they're like, how did you buy the book? And it was actually interesting because I want to say it's like 40% or 35%, something like that said ebook. And then right behind that was audio so it was like it was like 40 35 and then hardcover is like way below them. Yeah. And actually that is actually kind of bore out with what I've seen over recent years. Um audio has grown a lot. It's huge. I, it's, I mean it's huge now. I think it made up half of our servant sales. Yeah, and so so we've now gone to where it used to be where the hardcovers and the paperbacks well, the paperbacks was mass because paperbacks there's no money in the paperback except for just the volume. And volume and so hardcover is where you used to make your money. Now, honestly, it's ebook, ebook and audio. Yeah. Followed distantly by hardcover. Well, I mean, the percentages of the percentage of profit that you receive on ebooks is so huge 
if you're within that that two ninety nine and nine ninety nine window, which yeah. most of our books are. Yeah, it's, that's one it's thing too. Huge. And then another thing too in the rankings is really weird too because it's like I'll have like a nine dollar nine ninety nine ebook, and I'm competing against the free one. Ten ten oh. ten ebooks for ninety nine cents. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's so dumb. I had one once where it was like I can't remember what the release was, and I was like number two. I was like, let's see what number one and it was literally it was like an entire series. It was it was a ten book series for Freak. like a dollar ninety nine. And I was like, how do you even put these in categories to like rank them? They, they used to put us in with the free ones and they did actually, I think, change it so we're not against the free ones anymore. Because it's like, good. how do you compete against free, a, a product that he's like, oh, yeah, I'll take that. And you just get it. And it's yeah. like, no. It's stupid. I don't know anybody who like reads them. They just like, oh, hey, a free, a free thing. I'm going to no, get it's, it. It's like this. It's like the 99 cent steam sale. Well, it's back when they used to be free. Remember they used to have free music downloads on oh, Amazon yeah. back yeah. in the olden days. Yeah. And I would go through and I would just look up all of them and I would download like, all of them. Yes. I would. I would just click, click, <laughs> click, 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 click. And I, I would, then I would listen to them afterwards and never listen to 98% of them ever yeah. again. Yeah. Or I'd listen to like literally a minute of the song and be like, eh. nope. Yeah. <laughs> because you just, it was free accumulation. So how a lot of this stuff works, guys, I don't know. And I saw a bunch of guys the other day arguing about uh, the rankings and how, especially on the indie guys, they're getting kind of hosed because they don't get, I was actually John Van Stray was talking about this. Mm. Very smart guy. He's done very well. He's sold a lot of books. But, but John was talking about how arbitrary it is now, what categories they put them in. Like, cause yeah. you could say, I want to be in the following categories and then they may or may not put you in there and they put you in something else that doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah. You know? And, uh, it's just so weird. Yeah. It's such a wonky system we have right now. So where's it all going? I have no earthly idea. Eh, who knows? Okay. Question not from me. I swear. Uh, this is from supporter Alexander. Uh, he, he wants to, he wants to ask a quick question about, um, uh, short stories. Okay. We had, we had that short story episode that we did where the idea basically is, bro, you ain't going to make a living off short stories. Almost impossible. Almost. Because his question is, what about Ted Chang who wrote story of your life or story of my life, story of your life? The one that they made the movie arrival from, um, cause that dude pretty much only writes short stories and novellas and apparently makes a living at it. Um, notice I said almost, almost, you know, uh, and he, and he says, I'm sure having one turn into a blockbuster, a Hollywood blockbuster helped, but that couldn't have been it. Um, actually, yes, it could have. Yeah. Actually quite literally. So um, we know, we know, um, uh, freaking Maze Runner, James Dashner. Okay. Oh yeah. James Dashner, when he sold, um, I was talking to him we after, at Gen Con. At Gen Con. Yeah. After the movie came out. It was leading up to. Oh, it was the like movie. right before the movie came yeah. out. Yeah, and he told me how many copies he had sold that period. It was fifty thousand a week. Yeah, it was an astronomical number of. And books. that was his book one. Yeah. So yes, actually having a major motion picture tie-in, uh, not always because sometimes sometimes it just doesn't translate over. Sometimes people don't capitalize on it right. Sometimes the publisher fails to yeah. capitalize on it. But actually having a major motion picture tie-in. Is like winning the lottery. It's huge. I mean, you get your you get the option money. That's neat. Option money is great, but really, but, it's about the increased sales. I mean, just think about it: fifty thousand copies of just one book a week. Oh yeah, it's huge. Um, 
Or the other thing is too, if you can just wind up like being the kind of thing they read in schools. Oh yeah. There's a reason they took Ender's Game off the New York Times bestsellers list. There's certain books that are like have they perpetually Dune. There's certain books that they sell so many books continuously that they just don't have them on the bestseller list because otherwise they'd be on there every single week for eternity. Yeah. Uh, Ender's Game is one of those. And I, I think Ender's Game still sells like 400,000 copies a year. So ridiculous. Okay, so so guys, you got to keep in mind, if you can get a major tie-in, and, and Ender's Game actually didn't have that movie tie-in until like 30 years on. No, but it was it was like a cultural touch point in science yeah. fiction. If you can wind up with a, being a cultural touch point book, and there's only a handful of these. <laughs> I know, there, there's like 10. Yeah. I mean, obviously if you're catcher in the rye or whatever, it's licensed to print money, even though no one, Harry Potter, no one actually reads it. Harry Potter will sell a million copies a year for the rest of eternity eternity. until the sun goes supernova. I mean, Dune, Ender's Game, um, Agatha Christie novels, Agatha Christie novels, the great Gatsby. I don't know how many copies of that piece of crap they sell every year to captive high school students. All of them. You know, so the thing is, guys, yeah, the major tie-in like that, yes, you can uh, make a living off of just having one of those. But that's that's lightning striking. That's lightning striking. Most of us who make a living off that don't have that. Now, sometimes you will have some cool, fortunate thing come along, and it may or may not be something that you can capitalize on. Um, like Dan Wells got a movie for I Am Not a Serial Killer. Yeah. But it was on Netflix. It was a good flick. It had uh, actually, um, it's really good. Had Christopher Lloyd in it as the oh, bad guy, which was great. He did a great job. It was he a great did movie. So good. Actually, that movie's solid. It's a solid movie, but I don't think it actually did anything for Dan's no, career because it was it was an indie film, and it just didn't it didn't hit. Like it didn't it didn't strike right. I do think that if that movie came out today, because of the way indie films are, especially indie horror, you know things like like. IFC Midnight or um, Bloomhouse or stuff like that. Yeah. I actually think that he would have more success today than when it was released like, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. Yeah. It's such such a crapshoot on that. And so, I don't know. It's one of those. And also just because you get the big tie-in doesn't necessarily mean you'll make any money either. I've known other guys who have gotten TV shows and it just didn't translate over. Right. Or the TV show wasn't popular and no one cared. Sometimes even an unpopular TV show that only lasts a season can still boost um, uh, show uh, a franchise big like Dresden Files. So the Dresden Files TV show only lasted a season on the Sci-Fi Channel, but for Jim, uh, that was like that was it. That, that made was the huge. Difference. That gave his career this massive just kick in the butt. Man, it was huge it, for it him. Fast forwarded him like twenty years. It is. So basically, it is the kind of thing that can be huge, or it can't. And so, yeah, there are some short stories that turn into a major picture. Yeah. I mean, one of the greatest short story writers out there, Joe Lansdale, um, he's written hundreds of short stories, and they're all pretty good. Um, and he has had some stuff turned into- Happen in, Leonard. Happen Leonard, but that, those were novels. But he does have a crap ton of short stories set in that world. But- even then, he makes his money off novels. Yeah. And so, yeah, Ted Chang, yeah. Dude, dude struck the lottery with, with you know, um, the movie Arrival adapted from one of his stories. Story and, I, Life. and I have actually no idea what the finances on that is. I he made a crud ton of money. So good for him. Yeah. It's one of those guys, I I don't know, y- you, you hope for something like that? Like I've optioned 
Um, I've optioned Hard Magic to Radar Pictures. I've optioned Monster Hunter International Entertainment One. Will anything ever happen on that? Who knows? Hollywood options, uh, I think roughly, I don't know what the actual stat is, but it's something like a dozen, um, what used to be, because they used to option everything. Well, yeah. They had, I mean, for legal reasons. And they 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 don't anymore. So it used to be in the old days, before the first writer strike, they would option basically a hundred products for every one that they made. Now they still make the same number of products, but they option fewer of them, but you're going to, they're going to option 15 or 20 things for everyone. They actually end up going into production. And just cause they go into production doesn't mean it'll actually make it to air. Yeah. I mean, not all of us are going to have a movie starring Amy Adams and freaking Jeremy Renner. Um, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's, and I know writers who chased Hollywood. We, yeah, we, we know a few. We know a few that chase out, and every single one is like damaged their career. It went bad. Yeah, it went bad. That said, we are going to interview some people at 20 Books who are doing it their, themselves. Yeah. And they're doing their own production and funding their own production. Yeah. So I'm actually curious to see, because that's an interesting kind of branching out, because mm-hmm. technology has gotten so much better for indie filmmakers. Yeah. And so really what they're doing is we're now seeing some writers make that leap into the indie filmmaker sphere. Um how that'll shake out, I have absolutely no idea. So uh, we're going to actually try to talk to some people who know a lot more about that. All right. Thanks, Alexander. Um, look, we're going to take a quick break. and come back, we're going to hit you with a few more questions. We'll be right back. When Jack Bishop's father is abducted and a malevolent supernatural entity is unleashed upon his quiet town, Jack discovers an extraordinary gift. The ability to see psychic residue, the haunting echoes of monsters and murder. Teaming up with the enigmatic Alexandra, or Alex Courtney, a mind reader with secrets of her own, Jack unleashes his growing ESP talents to thwart a series of gruesome murders while unraveling the mystery behind his father's disappearance. Steve Diamond's reimagined edition of Residue is a fast-paced, action-packed paranormal thriller that will keep you riveted from start to finish. Residue by Steve Diamond. Available now on Amazon. Pick up your copy today. And welcome back. Okay, our next question is from Evan. Um, and he asked a question that, that, that we've talked about before on, I, I'm pretty sure we have an episode that talks about collaboration. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll briefly touch on it here. Uh, and when we get Rothman on the show, he and I can talk about that in, in a different way too. So Evan asks, how do you go about writing collaboratively? And then, you know, he talks about all the different ways. Um, so, um, yeah, it is a successful collaboration really just friends we murdered along the way. <laughs> that's pretty funny. That, that, that's good. Evan I like that. Um, he says, granted, this kind of thing is going to change from author pairing to author pairing. Yes. But clearly, however, you go about brewing your, your alchemy together. Um, and, and as it works. So I'd like to know your tips and tricks and darkest secrets. Um, thank you kindly. So I, I think your last statement, Evan, is kind of the gist of it, that your collaborative, your collaborative project changes in the nature in which you, you go about it changes from pairing to pairing. Well, also where you're at in your career. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Because I've had collaborations early on in my career where my goal out of that collaboration is much different than what it would be for right now. Yeah. 
I, I would I would definitely say, Evan, go back and listen to our episode on collaborations. Because we talked about this for, for quite a while. And I've done collaborations with a lot of, lot of yeah. different people now. And, um, and now I am starting to as well. Yeah, now Steve has done a bunch now too. And honestly, they all have their pros and cons and no two are alike. Yeah. It, it's going to be kind of like um, everyone is like a roll of the dice. And everyone's going to have different goals that you're trying to accomplish based upon where you're at in your career and also who you're working with and where they're at in their career and what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I've had collaborations where it was just kind of for fun. I've had collaborations like, Hey, this guy's cool. I want to, I want to do something with him. I've had other collaborations where it's like, I was just like, dude, this guy has such a good idea. I want to run with it. Um, I've had other collaborations where it's been, my publisher said, Hey Larry, you're the senior author. This one. is, this is a business relationship. This is a business thing. We want you to bring this guy up. Yeah. Because he's a good author too, but we need to get him in front of your your fan base. That was me. <laughs> well, you know, and, 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 but the thing is, still, there's all these different things. I don't, yeah. so I don't think there's really a. I mean, obviously, Niven and Pornell is a very different collaboration. Yeah. Than than yeah. than most of us, you know what I mean. So I think it's going to depend wildly. I would say definitely go back and listen to that episode though. We talk a lot about this. Yeah. All right, from David, who I, oh, I remember talking with this guy. Um, me and David had some conversations about short stories um, at Liberty Con, um, and, and he brings this up. In fact, I just saw his, he did just get a short story in one of those, um, it came from the Trailer Park things that Three Ravens Publishing is oh, doing. Oh, one of the Hillbillies anthologies. Yeah, so he's, um, so David got into that one. Good for him. And he said, um and, I, and I'm happy from his, he's cool. His girlfriend had a, a, a Black Keys t-shirt on that was dope. I had the same t-shirt. Oh, cool. Um, I love the Black Keys. Anyway, um, he said, the question is, it's effectively, what do you do after submission? Um, he says, um, okay, what do you do if there's a particularly long delay in communication after the submission? Hmm. Um, you know, it's, can, do you basically go back to them or do you respect them that they're sifting through a bunch of stuff and let them be? That's the first question. Um, when it comes to short stories, um, if it's a personal submission to a smaller press, um, it's, it's totally fine to, to ask them the question. Um, the last thing you want to do and, um, and who brought this up? Someone brought this up the other day in the dojo talking about like make sure that you're you know you actually check the email account oh yeah is that from Jonna? Uh, no i think it was, i think it was Jonna talking about like somebody was like getting their thing forwarded so they they yeah. were trying to accept the story and they never saw it yeah and so she ended up she ended up just moving on yeah um it's okay to ask the question just don't be overbearing about it you know there's a there's always a professionalism in your in your in your correspondence. Obviously, try not to be annoying. Uh, most publishing houses, when you submit to them uh, through this, their slush pile, yeah, good luck. There's nothing. I mean, there's nothing. Um, it, it could be years. Yeah. So just honestly move on with your life. Yeah. I mean, it's, th there used to be that whole thing where it's like, once you've submitted to one publishing house, you should not submit it to anyone else. And that's like, yeah, that's stupid. Yeah, that, that doesn't work anymore. In the olden days, when there was only one path to publication, 
they could kind of lord that over you. So, you know, don't submit to multiple places. Only submit to us first. Uh, we will reject anything that's a duplicate submission. But we're going to sit on your submission for the next 18 months before we tell you no. Yeah. No. That, um, no. Nah. No, that well, doesn't work for me. Honestly, your best bet on for, for submitting traditionally is you're going to have some sort of personal contact or relationship so, or somehow they know you, so you're not just in the slush pile. If you're in the slush pile, yeah, move on with life because it's going to take forever before you hear anything. When when I when I first started Alito's book reviews back in ye olden days, it was like 2006 or something like that. The whole reason I did it was, and and this sounds super selfish, but the reason I did it was for me. It was for personal gain. So you could actually know publishers. So so I could know publishers and know yep. authors, um, and. That worked. I mean, it was the freaking long game, but I mean, in 2011, you and I are sitting there at uh, in Reno, and that was when I first met Tony, like in person. But she already knew who I was because of the sh- yeah. Because I of the remember, website. like literally, everybody knew who you were because of that. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. Um, and then at uh, a freaking um, uh, World Fantasy that we crashed, someone came up to me and was like, "Oh, you you do elitist book reviews?" I'm like, "Yep." I'm like, "What?" You- that was weird. You actually had a bunch of authors and publishers and agents all knew uh-huh. who you were because of that. So honestly, having that personal connection where they actually, you're not just a number in the slush yeah. pile is absolutely vital. But as far as like how long to wait, usually places will have guidelines as how, like what yeah. their, their window is. But outside of that, just don't, yeah, don't sit there and hold your breath. Yeah. Shoot the story off. Um, if it's a novel. If it's for a short story, like you, you've probably you've probably written that short story targeted to that anthology, so just send it off. Move on. If it's your novel, send it to like thirty-seven different publishers and agents and whatever, and move on and write the next thing. Well, honestly, too, because if it's a short story, you fire and forget. Yeah. And if it doesn't get picked up, you still got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so usually those are moving faster. And so six months after you wrote it, they're going to be like, oh, we rejected you or three months, whatever it may be. Great. Now you got it to move it someplace else or sell it yourself. Yep. That's fine. I I wouldn't wait too long because honestly, this industry moves at glacial slowness. Agents are another one. We haven't talked about that because I'm unagented. I honestly find, I think as time goes on, they matter less and less. Honestly, they're yeah. they're pretty useless for the most part, and yeah. we could really make fun of some of the submission ones we've seen recently. Well, and 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 we've seen we've seen a few a few friends of ours who've gotten screwed by their agent. But if you do go that route, they will very specifically on their website where you turn that in will have some sort of rules of like I will get back to you in ninety days or thirty yeah. days or whatever it may be. Okay, you know, go off of that. And as far as submitting to only one of them at a time, oh no. hell no! No, submit no. to everyone and everywhere. Send, if you're if you're going to try to get an agent, I would send it to all of them. I mean, send yeah. it to everybody who you think is a is a good fit. I mean, obviously, don't submit it to some of these people. I mean, be be picky to yeah, who you send it. You're going to gonna be target. You're targeting. People. You're targeting. Don't just spam it to everybody no. on in the internet who calls himself an agent. Because no, half a, of those are frauds anyway. Yeah, think of it as a sniper rifle, not praying spray. Yes. Yes, so, yes. It is a sniper rifle. It is not a hand grenade. Right. Um, so his next question, and, and this is interesting. He says, um, what are you supposed to do if you actually make the sale? Like, what, if any, are the expectations of you for promotion and all that? 
you know, you spend all your time writing the story right. that you, a lot of times you don't think about what comes after that fact. Well, very wildly, depending on who you sell it to. Yeah. If you sell it to some small outfit, um, you're going to have to do a lot of, you're going to do all the legwork yourself because their marketing budget is like nothing. Zero. Even, but here's a kicker though. It used to be in the olden days. I don't even know if this is true, but in the olden days, the publisher, like a traditional publisher would do all this for you and hold your hand and spend lots of marketing money on you. And I don't even know if that was just like a Cinderella version of reality. I think maybe one in 10 authors they would actually do that for where they would actually like break out the piggy bank and do a big marketing push. They still do it for their favorites, but I'll be honest with you. I've seen mostly from most of the big publishing houses lately, guys, they'll pick somebody up, but they're throwing spaghetti at the wall to see if it sticks. I mean, that's the YA market in a nutshell. Yeah. So they'll pick up a hundred authors, promote one of them that they like for whatever reason, usually and, politics. Or and they, and they wait to see nepotism. which one goes viral and gets picked up yeah. by, by Hollywood. And of those hundred, if one or two actually does well, they'll keep promoting those. And the other 98, they'll be like, sayonara, we're Chat, done. Yeah. We actually know several writers who have been great writers who have been picked up by big publishing houses. I don't want to name any names because it's not my story to tell, but we're thinking of some of the same yeah, yeah. dudes yep. where they're good writers. They got a deal. They went big publishing house. Big publishing house treated them like utter crap, spent no money on them whatsoever, uh, and then their book either sold or didn't, but it didn't live up to whatever was in the imagination of the publishing people, and they just dropped them. Yeah. Or they would pick them up for some political braggart reason, and then they they were no longer the hotness a season later, because these people are very vapid and shallow. Yeah, super fickle. So as far as what you can expect from marketing for most of these people, total roll of the dice. Yeah. I, I think the safest thing is to assume that you are going to do your own legwork, just like you did for for getting a publisher, or getting you know getting into a publisher or getting an agent. You you had to make your own connections for that, right? In yeah. general, just just do the same thing. No, this is actually one reason that the scales have shifted so much in recent time, the relationship between writers and publishers, because once again, there's the expectations. If the publisher isn't going to do anything for me, why am I splitting the money with them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're at, a, at most traditional publishers, just for the sake of averages, let's say you get 10 to 10 to 12% royalty. Okay. Well, that if you have to do all the work yourself and that's all you're getting, more and more these days, that starts to feel like like you, the author, are yeah. getting the shorthand of that. The only reason you would go with them is if they can move more volume Correct. to make it worth it. Mm-hmm. Now, ideally, in, 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 in a world where business makes sense and it's it's not run by a bunch of morons who didn't get accounting degrees, they got, you know, <laughs> they got their friggin' humanities, whatever. Yeah. Underwater basket weaving yeah. Ivy Leagues yeah. from New York University, NYU, whatever. Whatever crap that is, you know, they're Jimmy the intern from Chico State. <laughs> uh, Chico State. Dude, I got brought up the other day. Oh, yeah. I laughed. I love Jimmy. <laughs> One of my favorite characters. But the thing is, it's like, if they're not doing anything for you, then why are you there? Yeah. You. The reason you should be there is they, theory, should move enough extra volume for you that it more than makes up for the difference. That's right. That's and then right. you are able to concentrate on the writing and not the marketing. Mm-hmm. But if they're not doing that, then that business relationship's not worth it. So if you do wind up in a relationship where you have sold a book to a big publishing house and they don't treat you right, uh, take the money and run, okay? Yeah. 
write the books that you have under contract for them, get whatever fans you can off of that because, you know, your books are in stores or whatever, whatever fans you can get develop off that. Get great. your fans. Get and your fans. And then GTFO. Yep. When, the, when that contract is up, you've gotten some fans out of the deal. If that publishing house isn't treating you well, bail. Yep. All right. Stick around if they're good. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, this is from Bo. And he says he's he's uh, written a few chapters where the main character spends a lot of time by himself. Um, and so he says, what do you do? Uh, how do you go about writing long scenes where your character is on their own? Um, I can add another character in there if I need to, but I'm short on time. Um, basically, it's the character by themselves where it's it's a lot of introspection, you know, um, he, he talks about it as the river of he's because it's, it's third person, obviously, oh, from what yeah. he's saying. He thought this, he did that. He yeah. thought this, he did that. Yeah. Um, boy, this one's, this one's hard for me, Larry, because I, I actually tend in my fiction to do a lot of alone introspection. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's as long as you're focused on what's important to the character, um, and why, in those scenes, you're, you're, you're discussing the stakes of that introspection and, and where they're going. As long as you're doing that, you're okay. I actually have been thinking about this exact thing because I'm working on the last book of Son of the Black Sword, where there is a lot of introspection mm-hmm. for one person because there's a lot of philosophical changes that go on with the characters in this book. And actually, I have different parts where various people are sitting in prison or being held hostage. <laughs> Yeah. So I can't even have them traveling as they think. You well, know? And, and, and to go along with you on that part, like um, when the opening of the third um, Jack Bishop novel, the, the the third book for Residue, I mean, that's where it starts out. He's by himself. Yeah. So. Ditch the he's. First off, when we talked about this when we, write, but when we did the writing action episode. Yeah. It's the same exact thing. You don't have to have every single thing through the filter of the point of view narrator. So it's not that, you know, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. It's more just like, this is how things are. Yeah. And this is the way of the world. And as I've learned this and this and this, but I used to believe this, but this turned out to be wrong. And I remember the time that so-and-so did this, which taught me about this other thing. You see what I'm saying? I, I think that I think that this is a great opportunity for you, Bo, because this is where you get to learn and try and experiment with character voice. You know, this is where you get to go in. Okay, so if it's um, uh, who's a character we all like, uh, Raylan Givens. Um, if if there were a story, and there are stories told from Raylan Givens' point of view, obviously. But if it's a Raylan Givens story and it's told from his point of view, whether first person or third person, the narration style of that would be the way that he thinks, the way that he sees things, which is radically different than than other characters. This is a good chance. This isn't just um, him being in prison. It's that character is in prison. How does he feel about that? And how is that different than the other people? around him. You know, there's a certain style of storytelling and it's not as common nowadays, but it's more common back in the pulp days where the entire story would be given in the form of somebody sitting around the campfire telling the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think there's actually a lot to be learned from that. And Robert E. Howard is the grandmaster of this. 
if you read a lot of Robert E. Howard stories, they'll use this format. I actually used it for the short story, The Testimony of the Traitor Ratul. Okay. So that was one where get some of the, get something written in that style and you'll see what I mean. Where it's not necessarily like you're following along as the person is doing their internal dialogue, telling the story or going through their thought process. It's more they straight up tell you. Yeah. So if you have a scene like that, you might want to flip the nature of the scene. So it's a person by itself, but it's him formulating his story. Yeah. It's like, this is how I came to this conclusion. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. Okay. Um, from Dustin. Uh, why did Steve, as a horror writer, choose a YA novel for his first outing? Um, stupidity? <laughs> um, so, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. So, um, Hunger Games was massive at the time. Um, tons, I think, freaking Divergent was... All of these YA stories were out there at the time. Blown up huge. They were massive. Um, my buddy Dan Wells was writing YA and at the doing, time. Doing really well. Doing super time, yeah. good. He just he just moved to Germany to try to be David Hasselhoff. And people were doing really good. But it that wasn't really why. It was more of my spiteful nature. I saw all of the female characters who were all like vapid little twits. You know, they got a, 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 some boy looked at him crossways, so they wouldn't hit in a corner and sulked for, for freaking 15 chapters. Um, so as that was going on, I was watching the show Chuck, which is a fun show. Yeah. It has Adam Baldwin in it. Adam Baldwin. He was freaking awesome in it, dude. Um, and I was reading the book Necroscope while I was reading that series, which yeah, is totally Brian Lumley. not YA. No. Um, but all of that kind of happened at the same time. And I was like, you know what? When, um, when I was in high school, I don't remember the girls or the guys, you know, just going off and dwelling in a corner anytime anything bad happened. Um, and so that's why I started writing it that way. Now, the interesting thing is um, since then, um, and as of airing this episode, the new version kind of sort of author's edition of residue is out now. And I actually aged up the characters by two years. It can, I mean, it, it could still be considered YA, I guess, but it's kind of ambivalent. It's, it's on that, that edge. Anyone can, anyone and everyone can read it. Um, the YA market sucks to write in. It's, it's full of, it's just a freaking toxic wasteland of terribleness. Yeah, and you're not a rainbow-haired weirdo, so you're not going to get any deals. I, I am not. I, it turns out I do not have rainbow hair. Well, and if you guys think I'm exaggerating, I am not. <laughs> yeah. I am understating it. Okay. Last question. Um, and it's... Uh, you and I, we, I mean, we, we just, we've brought it up within the past, this episode and other episodes. Robert E. Howard and Louis L'Amour. Mm-hmm. We both love them. Yeah. Um, Mentioned them this very episode. Yeah. What are good books to start with both of them? So for me... Okay, so Howard already, it's not going to be books, it's going to be short stories. Yeah, yeah. He he doesn't really have long yeah, novels. Yeah, like a novel. Yeah. Um, for me... Or a couple novels. For me, uh, for, for Robert E. Howard, I, I actually think that um, 
starting with Tower of the Elephant is a really great choice. Well, I would say actually, if you go on, um, if there's you, a Del, I mean, there's Del Rey collections. There's that, the, the that collections. Yeah. So your best bet is to there's grab. Three. Yeah. There's are there three of them. There's three of them. Okay. Also, there's some great Audible collections that divide them up by genre. Oh, interesting. So if you go on Audible, and I got all these, I don't know if they're still on there. They should still be on there. I had it for a couple of years. Go on Audible, if you do audiobooks, and they'll have them divided by, so put in Robert E. Howard. So it won't be like all the Conan or all the Solomon Kane, but it'll be like Robert E. Howard horror. See, I have that collection. Yeah. I love- That's really good. I love the horror stories of Robert E. Howard. They're really, really good. Okay, so it's like, the th- uh, was it The Thing in the Hill? Oh, that, is that, what, is that, that story's so good. Yeah. Okay. That's probably one of my all-time favorite ones. That, the one that takes place in Texas? Yeah. Yeah. I can't even just really describe, like, because it's, it's, it's so it's a, weird. It's, it's a Western with a, I, I. Don't, don't, don't spoil it. Cause. Well, it's, it's too weird to. Yeah. But that said, if you grab this collection, it's got, it's got Conan, it's got Solomon Kane, it's got Bran McMorn, it's got oh, Werewolves. The Bran McMorn story is really cool. And it's got boxing. Yeah. The Brand, the Brand McMorn stories are like super. Brand McMorn, they have the the. Uh, oh man, I, I'm so bad with titles. It was the the Death Worm story. You know the one I'm talking uh, Worms about. Worms of the Earth. Worms of the Earth is fantastic. Yeah, that's a really good one. That's a really good one. Okay, so get that's my recommendation there. Yeah, I, for for Howard, buy go buy the, some of the collections from Del Rey. Yes. Now that said, Louis L'Amour. Ooh, okay. He's primarily known for his Westerns and his Westerns that he put the most love and care into are so good. Were the Sackets. The Sackett. It's the, the Sackett is so good because it, it, it straddles basically a family line across time. Starting back in, I want to say the 1700s. Yeah. All the way up until the end of the old West. Yep. Man, it's so good. And I think it's like 13, 15 books. Something like that? Probably. And though, okay, so you gotta say, so he was, he was paid by the word in the pulp era, okay, to churn out Westerns and he had a lot of really good ones. There are some that are like just phenomenal. Like I think Riley's Luck is yeah, probably my favorite you, of those. You, you've mentioned ones. Riley's Luck. Um, okay. But if you want to get something he's actually passionate about, Sackett's with probably the Sackett brand being the most famous of all of them. It's the most famous one. I mean, they, they made, they made movies out of well, if you look Elliott at the If you look at the cover, uh, usually it's like, it's like very obviously supposed to be, um, uh, um, Sam Elliott and Tom uh, Selleck and Tom Selleck. Yeah. Okay. So that tells you everything you need to know. And, and here's what I will say: those shows are actually pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you get to the, his other stuff that he's passionate about, ooh, this is not this westerns. Where we, this is where we talk about Last of the Breed and Last Walking of the Drum breed and Walking Drum. Yep. These those are the two that, sh- and one is would actually be considered. Uh, I guess one's, a, a, one's medieval. The walking drum okay, is so medieval. walking drum is a medieval Man, almost, history, sort of, <sighs> sort of history. But it's almost got that. It, it's, it's like medieval history with a little bit of like, like Arabian night, like, you know, tales of the Arabian Borderline Conan. It's, it's so, so freaking good. Cool. Okay. So that, that I recommend that walking drum is one of his most famous and he, he was going to write a sequel before he died and he didn't. I think which it was supposed is, to be three. I think it was supposed to be a trilogy. Such a shame. Uh, and it's about Kerbishard. I still remember the guy's name. Gosh. Fantastic. And the other one is Last of the Breed. And Last of the Breed was actually in the 1980s. And it was about a uh, American spy plane pilot who was shot down he's over Siberia. American. But he's part Native American. And he uses all the, the tricks of his people to, to avoid the KGB. Dude, it's so good. And the Russian army chasing him across Siberia as he's trying to make his way across the strait to Alaska. Yeah, it's dope. It's, ball, it's baller. It's really good. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, and then if you really want to see, and like I said, this is a really rare one, if you could find it, that shows that he could do crime. Oh. Hills of Homicide. Yeah. Hills yeah. of Homicide. And the other one too is like, for me as an urban fantasy guy, is uh, Haunted Mesa. I wondered if you were going to say that. Because- Haunted Mesa is really interesting. Yeah. So, because that is a weird paranormal X-Files Western. Yeah. And honestly, I love it. It was, it's probably set in like the 1970s, probably like early seventies, I guess. I was a big fan. He, he wrote a series starring, um, the main character, Hopalong Cassidy. Um, He did do a Hopalong Cassidy series. Yeah. Yeah. Those were pretty fun. I, I really enjoyed those. Um, the tone of those is much lighter. Yeah. That's the thing too, is like, what you'll see about Louis L'Amour is that he could do, he could write to spec. He was a master of, it actually irks me. It bothers me when I see people trash him when they'll like, they'll like go off like pulp Western stuff that was designed to be, you know, 50, 60,000 word, if even rapid fire, tropey Western. And these were the books that went on the spinners at the supermarkets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back when we had those, which believe me guys, as writers, we would all be better off if we still had all the stores had spinners of paperbacks on them. Absolutely. Okay. We lost, America lost something when we lost those. Man. No, but oh, they, man. but they, 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 but they don't realize that Louis L'Amour is actually brilliant. So between Robert E. Howard and Louis L'Amour, there you go, guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a dork for both of those. Yeah. You, you can tell how much we love those things. Yeah. I'm a fan. Um, all right. That's all the time we have for you today. Uh, hope you enjoyed some of our ruminating on some of these questions and whatnot. Um, okay. Yeah. Look, uh, look, look forward to a bunch of interviews from us. Um, frankly, we don't know everything that we're going to do yet in terms of what's coming. Um, hopefully no more lost episodes. Sorry, Massa. Um, but, we uh, gotta get him back on. I know freak. He talked about time travel and Romans. I know what we'll do is we'll do an episode where we'll pretend that it's him from the past coming to the future to do the same episode of time Travel i've actually again. asked him to do a sextus bassa story for oh, monster no. hunter yeah files for for the new one mm-hmm. oh sweet yeah that's awesome tell me that's not a good fit no that's fantastic he's, yeah, he's the right guy for it yeah exactly um okay that's all we have for you today um yeah keep an eye we have as we've said we have a lot of cool things coming your way uh, in terms of fiction and stuff so Uh, We appreciate all your support. Thank you guys so much. Uh, This is Ryder Dojo. We'll see you on the next one. Ryder Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash dojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Yeah, and you're not a rainbow-haired weirdo, so you're not going to get any deals. I, I am not. I, it's